Thanks so much for joining us today. Excited about being together for TCC at home. Uh, Today we're going to actually begin a new sermon series uh, in the book of Ephesians called We Are the Church. Uh, Over the course of the summer, we're going to continue to to worship online as we prayerfully prepare uh, to gather again as soon as our circumstances will allow us. But uh, in this time, as we continue to worship at home, uh, we're eager uh, for for us to consider what God has to say to us as a church about what it means to be the church. And so uh, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. Today, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 2. But before we jump into this passage, I want to ask you this question. What comes to your mind when you think about the church? I know for me, uh, as, a, as a teenager, uh, I was invited to, to church really for the first time in my life uh, and, and confronted with uh, how I felt about going into church. Uh, as a young kid, I uh, was taken to church a number of times by different people, and uh, it, was, it was always a decent experience. Uh, it was always uh, filled with uh, donuts and, and orange juice, and so I was uh, happy uh, to go to church then. But once I got a little bit older, uh, I really had disconnected from the church and wasn't uh, really interested in Christianity, but I had some friends that uh, really loved me well and invited me to church. And I remember being invited by them and, and really for the first time kind of having this uh, sort of uncertainty about what it meant to go to church, whether or not I would be accepted, what people might think of me, what they were going to say, and what would happen to me, all these different thoughts about what it meant to, to be at the church. Um, I, I'm curious uh, what your experience has been. Maybe, maybe you grew up in church and you had a great experience. Maybe you've been hurt by the church. Maybe you have been uncertain about checking out the church, but you're curious. In fact, today uh, and over the course of these next few weeks, as we look at the book of Ephesians, I'm, I'm speaking to a few different people. I'm speaking to those who are curious about the church, who, who are asking themselves, what is the church all about? Uh, that was me as a, as a young teenager thinking about going to church. I, I was willing to go. I was curious, but I, I was uncertain. I didn't know what fully to expect beyond the donuts and orange juice. And, and now you're at home, so you know, I don't know what donuts uh, or drinks you have, but uh, hopefully you can make the most of it during this time. But, but I, I want to speak to you who are curious about the church, asking what it's all about. I want to look at what God's Word says regarding what the church is all about. But I also want to speak to those who have been hurt by the church. I recognize and in conversations that I've had that many people's experience over the course of their life, some have come away from the church with some really bad experiences. Maybe it was a pastor or a leader in the church or maybe it was a certain circumstance or conflict that arose or something that allowed that led to you being really hurt by what you experienced. And you're asking, as you hear me talk about the church, why would I ever trust the church Maybe uh, this, uh, this season of quarantine and church being online has provided you an opportunity to, to maybe check things out at a distance, but you're still really processing through some things. Uh, I want to uh, look at what God's Word has to say to those of us uh, who may have been hurt by the church and how God would encourage us and, and what, maybe, what maybe the church can do uh, to, to care well and love those who have been hurt in the past. I also want to talk to those who are disconnected from the church. And you're, you're asking yourself, I've been disconnected from the church maybe for an extended period of time now, and I'm really unsure of what it means to reconnect, to, to come back 
to the church. Uh, maybe, maybe you've been away from the church and, and now you have young kids and you're thinking about, I want, I want some type of formation in my family and I'm trying to think about reconnecting. Or, or maybe you've walked away from the church because of busyness in life and, and you're realizing maybe there's something that I need there. Or maybe God's put somebody in your life and they're inviting you to church, whether online or checking out some small group on, on Zoom or something like that. And you're, you're thinking, well, you know, well, maybe, maybe I'm interested. Maybe I'm open. Uh, and, and considering what it means to uh, be a part of the church or get connected to the church. But then I also want to speak to my church family, to those who are committed to the church. We should be asking, as we look at God's word, God, what is my role in the church? What do you want to do through our church? In fact, my, my prayer for us as, as a church is that we would uh, spend these weeks and, um, and next uh, next period of time walking through the book of Ephesians and that in doing so, God would deepen our love for the church and deepen our commitment to the mission of the church. That's what I'm praying for Treasuring Christ Church in these coming days and weeks. In this season, in fact, as we're unable to gather together and as we uh, prayerfully consider what it will look like to regather uh, and what it looks like for us to be the church in the midst of this time, I think it's especially important that we look to God's word and that we're grounded in who we are as the church and what it means to be the church. So when, when you think about the church, it's easy to think about a place, a building, or an event, the church service. But as we look at Ephesians and we consider what God's word has to say, we're going to see that the church isn't ultimately a place or an event, but the church is a people. The church is a people called by God who are transformed by the gospel and who are sent into the world. That's, that's what we're going to see as we look at Ephesians 1 verses 1 through 2. But, but here's the important thing as we think about uh, the fact that we are the church. We as God's people called by God, transformed by the gospel, sent into the world. We are the church. When we think about that, we, we have to understand this. To understand the church, we must actually begin with God. You could say it this way, we will love the church and be committed to the mission of the church to the degree that we understand and delight in God. And as we look at Ephesians, we're going to see the Trinitarian nature of God on full display. What do I mean by that? We're going to see that God is one in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and, and the Father. And the Holy Spirit are working to accomplish redemption, salvation for those who will turn from their sin and trust in Christ. And they're at work uh, to, to form and, and, and fashion the church in such a way that they display the wisdom and the glory of God to a watching world. To understand the church, we have to actually begin with God. And so as we go through Ephesians, we're going to be unpacking who God is in his nature and, and what God has accomplished for us in Christ and through the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see what God has done for us and how we in turn respond to that work. And so as we walk through uh, these questions and we consider these things together... I would say this, to the degree that you are curious about the church or you've been hurt by someone in the church, I, I want to encourage you to stick with us for a few weeks as we walk through the book of Ephesians and we unpack who God is. Because remember what I said, to, to understand the church, you have to begin with God. 
and who God is and His grace and His mercy and His love and His desire and His design for the church. It's then that we, we can see how the church at times doesn't live up to what God calls us to be. It's there that we can see what the church is all about when we understand it, not according to a strategy of this particular group over here or, or, or this building over here, but what God calls the church to be. And then to those who are committed to the church, to those uh, who, um, who are walking uh, faithfully as followers of Christ and desiring to, to find their place in the church and to be a part of God's mission, I, I want you to, to press into what God's Word has to say and to ask God uh, to deepen that, uh, that understanding uh, uh, and love of His church as well as your commitment to be a part of the mission of his church. And so as we think about this topic of, of the church, there's, there's really no better book than the book of Ephesians for us to, to look at. Uh, Ephesians gives us perhaps the most beautiful portrait of the church. And, and as we look at Ephesians, we're going to see what God has to say about the church, how the church is brought into existence through the work of Jesus on our behalf, how he is at work in the midst of the church through the Holy Spirit. We're going to see how God intends to use the church in the world to, to display His wisdom and His glory for all to see. We're also going to see how God intends for the church to, to know and remain faithful to the gospel. That good news that Jesus died in the place of sinners, taking the judgment that we deserved and that He rose from the dead and that everyone who turns from their sin and trusts in Him will have new life. He's calling us to know and be faithful to the gospel. And then we're going to see what the church should look like. Over the course of these next few weeks as we walk through Ephesians, we're going to see what God uh, desires for the church to look like in its everyday life, how the gospel transforms us personally and how it transforms us corporately. We're going to see how the gospel overcomes barriers between people, whether they be ethnic or racial or socioeconomic or, or relational, how those barriers are overcome and God has formed together one new people. In Christ, that's his vision for the church. A people called by God, transformed by the gospel, and sent into the world. And as we think about the church, I want you to understand that, that the work of God on our behalf is always personal. You can't ride the coattails of somebody else's faith. You have to respond yourself to the gospel. God's calling you personally to, to turn to Him and trust in Him. If you know Him, if you're a believer, your, your faith should be a personal faith because God uh, sent Christ to die for you in your place for your sin. But, but our faith, while personal, isn't individualistic. And, and we have to fight against this in our culture. Our faith is personal, but it's not individualistic. Ephesians shows us that our faith is corporate fundamentally corporate. It not only addresses you and me, but it addresses us. We are the church. If I could say it to you in your home right there, if you could say it out loud, if I say, who is the church? Your response, we are. We are the church. Let me, let me, let's practice together. Who is the church? I'm taking it that you said we are. I think I heard you loud and clearly. We are the church called by God, transformed by the gospel, and sent to the world. So let's unpack this. Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, 
To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a short introduction that seems kind of bare bones, not much to to unpack, but but we can actually see these three truths that I've been emphasizing that are true about the church. The first is that we can see that the church is a people called by God. We, We see this through Paul identifying himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul's authorship uh, really was unquestioned throughout the history of the church until the early 19th century when uh, the Enlightenment began to exercise influence over how the Bible was interpreted. And, and, and so different people have raised questions since that time of, did Paul really write this? The vocabulary is a little different than some of his other letters. The style maybe is a little different. He doesn't emphasize this point or he overemphasizes this point. Um, and, and so there's these different thoughts and questions perhaps about whether Paul has written it. However, I want to encourage us to, to focus on, on two things. Uh, one that is abundantly clear in this passage as well as one that's true uh, over the course of church history. And that's this, that we can, we can trust that Paul has written this letter to this uh, group of believers in Ephesus because it's the clear claim of the letter, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He's identifying himself, and at the end of the letter, he identifies one of his associates, Tychicus, who is with him, that he sends uh, to the church at Ephesus to deliver the letter, and and we see other references that identify Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, as the author of this letter. And then we have the the consistent testimony of the early church that that Ephesians is, is God's word through the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. And look what Paul says about himself. Paul says that he was an apostle, which means one who was sent. Uh, Jesus, in his earthly ministry, had 12 disciples. And uh, after his resurrection, he called those 12 disciples to himself, and he sent them out to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples and establish churches. They were called apostles, sent ones. And after the resurrection, Jesus appears to Paul. Now, we don't have time to unpack Paul's testimony, but if you want to read in Acts chapter 8 and 9, you'll see how God took Paul while he was on his way to persecute the church and radically saved him and made Paul an instrument in his hand to establish the church. In fact, in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, the Lord said to Paul, Go, For I have chosen you as a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. God called Paul to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He took Paul from being a persecutor of the church and made him an instrument in his hand to establish the church. And when Paul talks about his ministry, when he talks about his calling by the will of God in Ephesians, look at Ephesians chapter 3 verses 7 through 11. If you can turn there in chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, Paul is is going to describe uh, his apostleship, his ministry in this way. He says, Of this gospel I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles 
the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all human beings. What was that mystery? It was that God was saving Jews and Gentiles and bringing them together, not as two separate people, but as one people in Christ. This mystery that was revealed in the Old Testament and has now come to full fruition in the New Testament through the work of Jesus, Paul says all of this has happened so that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that God has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faithfulness, through our faith in Him. So Paul talks about his ministry as a ministry of proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles and bringing together Jew and Gentile into one body, one people, that is the church. And God's eternal purpose was to establish the church. We could say it this way, that God's eternal purpose for the world centers upon the church. That was that plan that centered upon the church was realized in Jesus. So the church is kind of a big deal to God. It was the centerpiece of what he was doing and his eternal purpose through Jesus to establish the church, to put on display for the whole world to see what is in heaven and what is on earth, his wisdom on display. And so what is this church? We've said that the church is called by God. Well, the word church in the New Testament means called out ones. In Romans 1.4, when Paul talks about the church in Rome, he calls them those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2, Paul says that the church, describes the church as those called to be saints together with all those in every place who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus. So we could say it this way, the church comes into being not by any human initiative. So the church isn't just... Uh, some, some plan that the disciples got together 2,000 years ago and said, hey, let's do this little thing so that this message that we've got uh, can keep on going from generation to generation. It, it wasn't by human initiative, but the, the church exists in response to a divine call, to, to God's initiative, that, that God calls people through faith in Jesus to belong to Him. And when we come to faith in Jesus we enter into God's family, the church. The New Testament uses the word for church, ecclesia, 114 times. And the vast majority of these references refer to a local expression of the church, a local gathering of God's people. And when we, when we look throughout the New Testament, and we'll unpack this some as we continue to walk through Ephesians, but when, when the Bible talks about the church, it talks about the church gathering together to worship God. It talks about the church gathering together to hear the scriptures read, gathering together to hear the word of God preached, the Bible taught, to, to gather together to, to pray. When the church gathered is when they baptized When the church gathered is when they partook of the Lord's Supper in remembrance of what Christ had done on the cross for them. The church gathered to enjoy fellowship together. If if you think about the importance of the church, the author of Hebrews, as he was uh, encouraging these uh, believers who had experienced persecution and who were uh, fearful of of gathering together, he, he reminded them, he said, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. This is 
Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as the day draws near. The, the church is the gathered people of God. And when God's people gather, they submit themselves to God's word. They worship, they, they pray, they enjoy fellowship with one another. In fact, in, in this season, as we haven't been ever able to gather in person, we've been trying our best to, to be able to, to continue to hear God's word together and to worship together as we're scattered about. But my prayer, honestly, in, in the midst of all of this, is that God creates within us a deep longing to be together again in person. Yes, we will take all the precautions needed. We'll work out our plan to regather. I'm, I'm not laying that out here, but what I'm calling us to is a longing and a desire to to be together as the church because it's what God has called us to. The church is the people called by God. Called together is the emphasis in the scriptures. And, And in addition to this sense of gathering and togetherness that we see throughout the scriptures and the New Testament, there's also a broader sense, which we we often refer to as the universal church. Uh, believers across time. And uh, the universal church actually is the, the primary emphasis in the book of Ephesians. It, it's not, uh, it seems often referring to uh, the individual expression of a local church, but what's true of all believers at all time uh, as a part of the church, uh, of God's people called by God. However, here's what I'll say as we think about balancing the universal and the local expressions of the church. What, what God's word emphasizes above and beyond everything else is the local church. Over uh, almost 85%, 90% of the times in which the church is referenced, it's referencing the local gathering of believers. And what is true of the universal church must find an expression within a local church. It must be worked out in particular ways within the local church. And so all of these things, as we think about what God's word is saying about the church, and we think about the fact that the church is called by God, it's in response to to God's initiative that the church is God's plan to put on display his wisdom and glory in the world. We have to ask ourselves, is the church as central in our life? as it is to God? Think about that for you. Is the church as central in your life as it is to God? God's word is is pushing us in this direction to understand the, the importance of the church as God sees it because the church is a people called by God. Let me say it this way. The Bible doesn't envision a Christian disconnected from the local church. God's design and desire is for those who know him to be connected in a meaningful way to a local church. And as I say that, some of you may say amen. Some of you may say, I'm I'm in wholehearted agreement. I'm excited about that. But I mentioned earlier that I know some are curious about the church or some have been hurt by the church. And here's here's what I want to encourage. I want to think through two questions. What happens if you've been hurt by the church? And then if the church is this important to God, what should I be looking for in a church? We, we realize as a local church here in Ann Arbor, we, we're going to have people coming and going. 
from treasuring Christ. We're committed not just to say goodbye to people every few years when, when the job or school takes them elsewhere, but we're committed to send those that God brings to, brings to us. We are committed to send them out wherever God is leading them next. And so we want to we think rightly about what we should be looking for in the church. So let me, let me speak to the person who's been hurt by the church. As I think about this reality and the conversations I've had with those who have walked through this, I, I want to remind you that where the church has failed you, God won't fail you. You see, the times where the church has hurt someone is a time in which the church often has failed to live up to and reflect our Savior. So I, I want to remind you as you process the hurt that God hasn't failed you, even when you've been failed and hurt by some within the church. And I think something that's important that sometimes can be overlooked as we think about being hurt by the church is the importance of when you can, and perhaps the time has passed and the opportunity isn't there, but if it arises within our church, if someone hurts you within our church, whether it be myself or someone else in our church, I acknowledge that that may very well happen because while we're called by God, we still wrestle with our sin, and it's possible for us to hurt one another, what should we do in that moment? My, my encouragement would be to take your hurt to the one or to those who have offended you and to seek reconciliation. Now, this may require time. This may require additional help. This may require somebody walking with you. But do you know that God's design for his people when there's been hurt or offense, is to seek reconciliation. The work of the gospel not only reconciles us to God, Ephesians 2 tells us, but it reconciles us to one another. And I was encouraged thinking about this from a pastor, Thabiti Anyabwile, who pastors in Washington, D.C. He encourages those who have been hurt by the church not to spread their hurt further than the offense. He says this, Don't spread your hurt over a wider area than is necessary. If you do, it will dominate you. But if you target your pain and your reconciliation efforts, making them as small and specific as needed, you'll experience greater control over and freedom from the hurt. As I read that, I thought, what wisdom that is. So often, we, we've been hurt by a specific person or a specific circumstance, and we've applied that to the whole church. And what it does is it withholds you from receiving the love and care that God has designed the church to give you, as well as from you participating in the life of the church that God desires for you. And when that's happened, if time has passed or uh, the reconciliation can't take place and you must find a new church, even if it takes time, I want to encourage you to find a church that you can join. God's design for his people is to grow through the grace that they experience in fellowship within the local church. That's how God has designed us to grow in relationship to other believers. To not be in the church is to cut ourselves off from one of the primary means that God has designed for us to grow. And then finally, we can live in hope that God who never fails us, who draws near to us when we've been hurt, that God also desires to renew and restore His church. Thabiti again says he... God cares for our brokenness and also for the brokenness of the church. And guess what? Your pain is the means that he will use to teach the church to grow in love, and the church's love will be the means of your healing. The church needs your hurt, and you need the church's love. That's some encouraging words and wise counsel for us as, as we think about how to respond when we've been hurt by others in the church. 
But the second question is, what should I look for in a church? And, and, and I'll just mention these five things that I think are, are helpful for us as we think about what to look for in a church. This is what we want to be as a church at Treasuring Christ. I would say look for a church where God's word is central to the life and preaching of the church. You can know that by listening to sermons. You can know that by looking at the beliefs of a church. Uh, you can know that by looking at the mission and the values that a church holds. Are those mission, is that mission, are those values directed by God's word? And the preaching, are they saying this is what God's word says? Are their beliefs uh, backed up by the scriptures? And then look for a church that's clear on and faithful to the gospel. The work of Jesus on our behalf, his death in our place for our sin, and his resurrection from the dead, the call of repentance and faith. Look for a church clear and faithful to the gospel. Look for a church where membership matters. Here, here's why I say that. I think it's important to be a part of a church that knows you and that you can be known by others in the church. You're not just coming and going. It's, it's not just uh, being, um, being uh, experiencing something uh, on a Sunday morning, but it's belonging to a family. That's what we say at Treasuring Christ, that it's not just a place to attend. It's not just a service to watch, but it's a family to belong to. And then look for a church where community is accessible and helps you grow as a follower of Christ. We, we do this through small groups and through equip classes and through discipleship at our church. Those are the kinds of, uh, of opportunities and accessible ways in which you can experience community that, that hopefully a church is, is seeking to grow in and foster. And maybe if that church is young like our church, maybe God would use you to be a part of helping establish and see those things grow. And then finally, I would say this, look for a church that's committed to mobilizing you and God's people to serve the church and to advance the gospel. The church doesn't exist for itself, as we'll see in a moment, but, but God has sent us into the world. He's, he's calling us to strengthen and build up uh, one another within the church and sending us out to be a blessing to the world around us. God <clears throat> is serious and passionate about his church. Do we look at the church in the same light? Are you as serious about the church as God is? The church is a people called by God, but the church is a people transformed by the gospel. Uh, Paul, as he writes to the church here in Ephesus, he says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. It's a simple description, but it's full of, of rich truth. Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, and most likely what, what's happened is Paul came to the church at Ephesus. You can read about it in Acts 19 and Acts 20. And he spent nearly three years there ministering uh, to, uh, to those uh, who were in Ephesus, preaching the gospel, people coming to faith in Christ, strengthening believers, establishing pastors. And, uh, and the work that God did in Ephesus expanded to some of the other areas in Asia Minor, uh, in the area where he was at in what, what would be considered modern Turkey today. And, and there in Ephesus, a, a significant uh, significant uh, city that was of great influence, that was diverse, that was metropolitan, and all of these different ways, uh, God came in and the gospel transformed this city. You can read about what happened in Acts 19. God, God was at work in such a way that it was hurting the business of, uh, of those who made idols for the temple of Artemis that was at the center of the city. God was doing an amazing work, and the gospel was spreading in that whole region. And then Paul was run out of town. And now he's writing this letter, I think, to, to those who are there in, in, in Ephesus, but really in the region. And so the letter is almost, a, um, and the intent is that it would be read by many churches in this region, uh, in the greater Ephesus region. And Paul's writing to this church, and he says that they are saints and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Saints and are faithful in Christ Jesus. 
What does it mean to be transformed by the gospel? It means that we get a new identity and then that we live in light of that identity. What is the new identity that the gospel gives us? Well, Paul shows us here. It's that we're saints. Everyone who is in Christ now has a new status of saint. This isn't what you get when you've done a miracle and lived long enough and are deemed this within the church, but this is what God calls every person who puts their trust in Jesus to, to be a holy one, set apart by God and for God. We have a new identity, a new status, faithful in Christ Jesus. The emphasis, I think, is upon believing in Christ and then uh, walking faithfully with Christ, faithful in Christ Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done for us, God makes sinners into saints. He's talking about our status as, as saints, as those who believe in Christ that now gets worked out in everyday life. In, in Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 24, Paul says that um, he, he's, he's going to remind the, the church. He says, don't walk as the Gentiles used to walk in the futility of their mind. Uh, put these things away. In verse 20, he says, that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, we're to put off our old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupted through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. God has is, is, is called us as his people to be transformed by the gospel, be transformed by the work of Christ on our behalf. So our aim if I could put it this way, as we think about what it means to be transformed by the gospel, this isn't, again, an individualistic matter. Paul's emphasis is on us being transformed by the gospel together. We like to say at Treasuring Christ, we need Jesus together. We, we delight and declare and display the gospel together. That's the call of the church, to, to be transformed by the gospel together. So how do we do that? We each personally seek to live our lives in light of the gospel, in light of what Christ has done for us, in light of our new status. God's called us holy, so we try to live a life that reflects that. We put away sin. We, we put on what honors Christ. And then when we fail, we confess our sin to one another. We're not a church that pretends to be perfect. Here at Treasuring Christ, it's okay to not be okay. God's calling us to, to acknowledge that we're not okay. There's a freedom in that. And it's not freedom just to say that we're a mess. It's, it's freedom to know that though we're a mess and that we've failed and that we've sinned, that we can remind each other of what's true because of the gospel. Forgiveness is available in Christ. There's strength to say no and to resist sin, to turn away from temptation. We remind ourselves of one, and speak to one another the truth of the gospel just as we've learned it in Christ. And then we spur one another along, say, keep on following him. We, we get together in small groups to spur one another along. We, we speak after service to, to catch up and say, how are you doing? I'm praying for you this week. We're called to, to need Jesus together, to be transformed by the gospel together. The church is a people called by God who are transformed by the gospel and then who are sent into the world. Our mission of being sent into the world comes from Jesus. As he was raised from the dead, he told his disciples in John 20, you can see that Jesus said, just as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And our being sent into the world is defined for, first and foremost by our message. 
And what is that message that we are sent into the world with? Well, Paul sums it up in his greeting there at the end of the introduction in verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This was a standard greeting in letters during this time. But it's a greeting that is rich with meaning. Grace and peace. This sums up the gospel. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. Saved by grace through faith. Now, listen to verse 14 of chapter 2. For he himself is our peace. And he has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near, for through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. Saved by grace, we have peace with God through Christ. And not only do we have peace with God through Christ, but we have peace with one another through Christ. God has broken down that great barrier wall between Jew and Gentile that, that divided uh, these two people uh, in, into two camps. And, and God is showing the power of the gospel, of the message that we believe and that we declare, that it's all of grace. It's what God has done for us in Christ. We, we haven't done anything to contribute to this message. It's what God has done. We can't boast. We only boast in God, who has saved us not by our own doing, but by Christ's doing, by His death on, on the cross for our sins, and by His resurrection from the dead. And that reality, Jesus dying for us and rising from the dead, changes everything about how we relate to God and to, and to those around us. The cross changes our vertical status with God and our horizontal status with others. If you want a summary of the good news that the book of Ephesians is about, it's right here in verse 2. And you could say it this way. It's peace through grace. Peace with God through grace in Jesus Christ. Peace with one another in the body of Christ through grace That's in Jesus Christ. And here's here's why this message calls us to be sent into the world. It it starts first within the church. The message that we believe, we should embody to one another. So think about this. We embody the message among ourselves. So how is peace through grace embodied within our church? It could look like we move towards one another. We're intentional. We pursue each other. We call each other. That's what we're doing these days. We send a text message. We, we bear burdens with one another. Hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, can I get anything for you? Hey, I thought of you. We seek peace. When we know something's off, we want to make it right. So we're quick to ask for forgiveness and to extend forgiveness. We serve sacrificially because we have peace with God through Christ. We, we're willing to give generously. We love faithfully. How are you embodying God's grace and the peace that we have in Christ to one another within our church. We should, we should ask ourselves, how are we embodying the message that we believe? And this is what we do every time we gather. This is who we are as God's people. But the church, while the primary emphasis is on the church gathering throughout the New Testament, 
The church is only gathered for a short time, and then the church scatters. And as we scatter, as God sends us into the world in the natural rhythms of our life, there in those natural rhythms of our everyday life that God is calling us to embody the message of peace through grace. We ought to be peacemakers in our communities. We ought to be people who speak of the gospel that reconciles those who are divided. Have you noticed people are divided in our society, in our community? How does the gospel speak to the racial tensions that we experience in our world today? Oh, there, there are easy platitudes to say, but God's calling us to be a people who embody peace through grace found only in Jesus. God's calling us to be a church who's willing to make ourselves uncomfortable to love those who are different than us. God's calling us to be a people who in everything that we do, we seek, we ask ourselves, how can I show the gospel in such a way that, that people see that God is a God who's made peace through grace? In my interactions with my neighbors or my coworkers, the way I speak to my family members, how am I embodying the message of peace through grace? We're to be transformed by the gospel, and that gospel message is a gospel message that we can't just keep to ourselves in a holy huddle, but it's a, it's a message that sends us out to bear witness to everyone that God brings us across. We've said often that God never gets our address wrong. He's put us right where he has us and the people that he has us around for a reason. And wherever we are and whatever we're doing, God's calling us to embody the message of peace through grace. At Treasuring Christ, we say we exist to multiply disciples who delight in, declare, and display the gospel in all of life and for the good of Ann Arbor. This is what God's calling us to as a church. This is the, the introduction to the book of Ephesians as it unpacks for us who the church is as a people called by God, transformed by the gospel, and sent into the world. So let me ask you, who is the church? We are. We are. If we've put our faith in Christ, trusted in Him, we've been brought into the family of God. He's calling us to be the church. And as we respond to him, he's sending us out into the world. As, as we close in this time of prayer, I want to pray over us and ask God to just continue to deepen our love for the church and our commitment to the mission of the church. But, but as we talk about this message embodied, you can't embody this message unless you first believe the message for yourself. So as we close this time, I just want to ask you, to have you put your faith and your trust in Jesus have you experienced the peace that comes from turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus as your Savior? We, we want to help you do that. As a church, we, we value the, the opportunity to talk to those who are making that decision or walking through those questions. Would you text the number that's on your screen and give us an opportunity to follow up with you, to talk to you about what it means to have peace with God because of the grace that's found in Jesus? I would love uh, to have that conversation with you and to talk to you about how God desires uh, to bring us into his family and to make peace with us through the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And as a church family, I want to invite us now to, to end this time by, by going to God in prayer, asking him to, to deepen our love for the church and our commitment to its mission. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time, and we pray that you would uh, just continue to use your word 
uh, God, to, uh, to show us who you are. Understanding the church begins with understanding who you are. And so I pray for the person uh, who maybe is curious about the church, maybe has been hurt by the church, disconnected from the church, maybe isn't sure that they know you or has a relationship with you. God, would you, would you help them to, to call out to you today? to recognize that because of what Jesus has done on the cross and his resurrection, we can, we can reach out to you. Would you help them to reach out to us so that we can walk with them through that decision and walk through those questions alongside them? God, would you, would you use our time in the book of Ephesians to deepen our love for you and for your church? God, we don't want to just take our ideas of what the church is about. We want to understand what your word has to say. Anchor us in your word. And God, as you anchor us in your word to understand who we are as the church, not a building, not an event, but as a people called by you, transformed by the gospel, that we couldn't keep that to ourselves, but that you would send us into the world. Lord, we love you. We ask this in Jesus' name.